Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 303 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's episode is titled Do Hard Things, and it's with Anne. You're going to get to know Anne in a second. Uh, but today's episode is a little, little different than some of the other ones in that it will handle the idea of tragedy, and we'll be having conversations about loss. Maybe don't listen with your kids. Maybe you want to. You should probably make that decision. Um, I don't even know how to talk about this. So uh, let me do this. There's not going to be ads the way you think about it in this episode. I just can't, I can't bring myself to put them in, but um, I do need to mention the sponsor. So this episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the only tubeless insulin pump in the world. It is the insulin pump that my daughter has been using since she was four years old and she is 15. It is wonderful. And Omnipod would be thrilled to send you a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod right now. And all you have to do is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and get that going. They'll ship it right to your house. You can try it on and wear it and see what you think. The show is also sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Arden has been wearing the Dexcom forever and ever, and we use the data that comes back from Dexcom for so many things. Just a few of them are insulin dosing, understanding when to eat, how to eat, seeing the speed and direction of your blood sugar, knowing if you're falling. It has predictive low alerts. It'll tell you that in the future, I expect your blood sugar to be under 55. It also has a share feature so that the people who love you can see your blood sugar when you're not with them. So whether that's your child or your sister or somebody else that you care about, the user can share their data with up to 10 people. It's amazing. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. This is Arden's glucose meter, which is absolutely spectacular. Top of the world for accuracy very portable without being too small. Test strips allow you to take a second shot just in case you, you know, you go in for blood and don't quite get it the first time without ruining the test strip. So you save money there. And there's a wonderful app you can get for your Android or iPhone that pairs to the meter with Bluetooth to give you even more information to help you make good decisions. You can take a look at that at contournextone.com. And of course, the podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. I'll tell you more about all the sponsors next week, but for now, check them out at touchedbytype1.org. It's Dancing for Diabetes. They changed their name, and uh, you really should go check them out. I want to take one brief second to thank the good people who sponsor this podcast, because without them, you wouldn't get stories like this. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise and to always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your healthcare plan. I'm not sure how long this is going to go before you make me cry, but let's find out together. Oh. <laughs> but I'm hoping... I'm hoping no. Um, or if I can get through it without crying. <laughs> 100% think we're both crying. But so just so that you can uh, so that you can be uh, aware of what I'm waiting for. Um, I'm really. I, I don't even know what to say about how how 
amazed I am that you are doing this. I usually start the shows by having people just introduce themselves. Okay. My name is Anne. Okay, Anne. Listen. <laughs> so, Anne, I, I received an email from you probably going back to the summer of 2019, I think. And I'm, you know, your email started off so much like everyone else's. And, you know, I'm sitting somewhere, you know, doing something and I go, oh, I get a note. And I look at it and I start reading it. And I'm like, oh, this is a nice note. It's going to be about a nice thing. And it was about a really nice thing right up until it sort of wasn't. And then my wife looked over at me and said, are, are you okay? And I said, I just got an email. I don't know how to respond to it. Um, so I guess let's start like this. Um, you're married? I am. Okay. Uh, you have children? Three amazing boys. Okay. The youngest of which was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2013. And that's Adam. Adam, Adam. yes. So Adam was diagnosed in 2013. How old was he then? He was eight years old. Eight. Okay. So um, why don't we just talk about his diagnosis? How did it go? Sure. Well, we, looking back on it, we think that it had maybe been going on for a while. There were many, I mean, as is very commonly the story, there were signs that in hindsight, we thought, huh, <laughs> wonder how long this had been going on. Um, the weekend that we took him, the, the Monday that we took him to the doctor followed a weekend in which he had run in a parade. Um, the there's a community parade that we have. The run was kind of a kickoff to the parade, and um, we would always have the boys run. It's about a mile run, and um, so all the boys did it. We met them at the finish line, and when Adam got to the finish line, he did the run, bless his heart, um, but he couldn't, he kind of, he didn't collapse. He just sat down, and he had a really hard time getting up. More, so, husband, more so than your other two sons? Oh, yes. Well, the others, two were just, you know, excited. They wanted to go see the parade. And Adam was just, he couldn't get up. Um, so my husband and I looked at each other. My husband actually hoisted him onto his shoulders and ended up carrying him to our next point. But Adam was, yeah, we just, it, it didn't, we knew that it, something didn't seem right. Yeah. And so um, that was a Saturday. Monday, my husband and I had decided that we were going to take him in just for a checkup. And our amazing pediatrician, I think, listened to um, some of the things that had been going on and immediately um, had him uh, did, a, did a urine test, detected sugar in the urine, and at, at that very moment diagnosed him with type 1 diabetes. Prior to that, how long do you think you were seeing symptoms? Well, it's really funny because, so at, this was Adam's second grade year, and earlier in the year, I want to say the fall, the his teacher had asked me, he said, is Adam getting enough sleep? He seems really tired. And, you know, I, I thought, wow. And apparently the teacher at one point had a conversation with Adam, and Adam said, at the, at the time, all three boys were sharing a room, or we had four bedrooms in the house. Um, the boys shared one of the downstairs bedrooms. We had one of the downstairs bedrooms and the upstairs we were using for a guest room in an office. Right. 
And Adam told the teacher, he said, yeah, my, my brothers keep me up talking at night. <laughs> and as soon as, so the teacher relayed this to me and I immediately, I mean, within a very short time following that conversation, we ended up doing away with the guest room in the office, um, moved both of those things to another location and had each of the boys have their own rooms. So, um, which I just thought was interesting. There was, um, there were also a few instances of Adam having that year, some unexplained stomach pain. And I don't know whether that was related to the the type one or not, but um, we took him in a few times. It's the point where he was literally crying and doubling over and, and vomiting. He was diagnosed when we took him to the ER at one point with constipation. Um, and I don't know whether that was a sign or not, whether that was, I, I don't it's so know. so hard to look um, back and figure it out, isn't it? It is. It is. But it was early on in his second grade year that I think, you know, as far as our look back, it's when we kind of realized that, huh, probably was happening for a while longer. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, uh, that's crazy. So how did the, the first couple of, um, you know, days and weeks go after you were diagnosed? How did you find the transition? Uh, we were in shock. <laughs> um, his diagnosis day, of course, was what we used to think of as the worst day of our lives. Um, it was towards, he was diagnosed in May and it was towards the end of his second grade year. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, um, I'm, I, I thought I would go to his school every day because the school wasn't going to do any of his shots. So I thought I'll go to school every day and at lunch or, you know, just be on call. I didn't live very far away and it was, would have been easy for me to just pop up and do all the shots. And so, um, and I, you know, we thought, okay, over the summer, we'll kind of transition him into doing this on his own. Um, well, we had an amazing school nurse who <laughs> at one point had bribed Adam um, to do his shots on his own, unbeknownst to me. Um, <laughs> he ended up actually within, I want to say the first week back to school following the diagnosis, he ended up giving himself his own shots wow. um, and learning how to do it much more quickly than I had anticipated. And, um, you know, bless his heart. He just, he stepped up and, and did what he needed to do. And um, so, you know, that, that obviously it was a time of shock, I yeah. guess, to a little bit, but um, we transitioned fairly, fairly well as far as, you know, getting him to do the basics on his own. Right. It's interesting, uh, isn't it, that a person who's a little disassociated from the whole thing, is he, it, it's a much easier path for them to say, look, just give yourself the shot. And you're probably <laughs> trying to protect him from whatever it is you're scared of in your mind or, you, you know, like making him grow up too fast or blah, blah, whatever it is we try to protect our kids from, I guess. Um, it's, it's, exactly. it's, it's It's very cool that uh, the nurse was able to just say, look, you know, you're probably going to have to do this, so let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we greatly appreciated that support. Right. Did you guys have, um, uh, did you transition to a pump at any point or glucose monitoring or anything like that? Um, the glucose monitor and pump actually did not happen until after I started listening to your podcast in 2016. Oh my gosh. Um, we had ordered a Dexcom in following the highest A1C that I'd ever, we'd ever had with him in, I want to say it was December of 2015. And 
we we didn't have great support from his provider. Mm-hmm. Uh, the provider's office is actually two hours away, or was two hours away from the community that we were living in at the time. And so there wasn't a really, um, there, there wasn't great support there. Um, they had briefly, they had mentioned to it following the, the one visit that we'd gone into where they told us that Adam's A1C December of 2015-ish uh, was, I think, 9.5. And I remember feeling shocked when I heard that. Um, was that a jump they, up? Had it been lower and it jumped on you? It had jumped. It had jumped. And there were, I think, a few things that had led up to the jump. <laughs> but um, yeah, it had jumped. It was higher than it had ever been. And it was kind of an afterthought. It wasn't even the provider herself. It was a one of the, the nurse that... Um, was kind of checking us out of that appointment. She mentioned kind of as an afterthought, she's like, well, you know, there is, you know, this continuous glucose monitor that you could try. And um, I just said, you know, I'm willing to do anything at this point. And so we ordered the Dexcom, they shipped it to us. And I remember thinking at the time, I I, I wish I had read so much more. I mean, again, hindsight, but um, I remember thinking at the time, gosh, this is going to be something that actually sticks on him. It goes into his body. I don't want to, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable going through the process of putting it on him myself. Okay. I, and so I, uh, we received it in December of 2015. I waited until April of 2016 when I knew I could get an appointment and drive across the mountains without, you know, worrying about snow and, bad roads. Um, I waited until I could get an appointment at, at the children's hospital to be able to do a class mm-hmm. to learn how to do it with someone else right there holding my hand. Um, so I had gold <laughs> sitting on a shelf for I, five months. <laughs> you know, there's been um, a number of people on here who have talked about their insulin pumps being in drawers or their CGMs still in the boxes. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's incredibly uncommon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you look back I, and you think, well, geez, you know, I'm yeah. interested. Um, I'm interested in through those first number of years where you feel like you're doing it, it's a very common thing for people. They feel like they're doing well. Right. Because mm-hmm. people are taking their shots. and They're counting their carbs, and but they're not having the results they're looking for. But they don't feel like I can't. I always have trouble making sense of that feeling of, oh, we were doing great. And like I was talking to somebody the other day who said, you know, my A1C is nine, but my doctor always tells me I'm doing great. And I wonder, like, there's a disconnect there for me, but I do think they're doing great in one respect. I don't know why the sentence isn't usually, hey, you're doing great. You're doing the things you were asking to do and everything, but here's what we could try to do, blah, 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 to move forward. Like, I don't know why that part never comes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The parts that always seem to come up in the visits with the ARNP would be, you know, meeting with her, looking back, okay, six weeks ago from today at 4.15, <laughs> why do you think we had this spike? And I, I you know, I just, um, <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, again, it's, it's too it's, retrospective. Maybe, maybe it's, they yeah. just don't have enough. I don't know. They're not able to make that, that moment to moment decision. Right. Right. All right. All right, Ann, have we, uh, have we gotten to the part where we're going to start talking about why you're on the podcast? I think, um, I think we have, I think we are. So you find the, you find the, the podcast you you, I'm assuming that gives you kind of the courage to put the Dexcom on him. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yes. I had taken the boys during our spring break uh, to visit my brother in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And my sister-in-law kept kept saying, I heard on this podcast, and she would go in and tell me something kind of fun. And she kept saying that over and over and over. And I was finally like, okay, Jessica, what's the deal with your podcast? <laughs> and she showed me how to look at podcasts on my phone. And uh, so it was that spring break trip where I'm like, hi, huh, I wonder if there's any podcasts on type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I immediately found yours. Yours is the first podcast that I set up on my phone. Um, I listened to dozens of hours and this was beginning to mid April. And I knew I had the Dexcom sitting on our shelf at home. Um, I knew that we had an appointment at the end of April to go to the children's hospital to take a class and help get that set up. Right. Um, we, yeah, I mean, we got it set up. I got him set up with the Dexcom. Um, it continued to listen to your podcast, um, I guess. Sorry, I'm getting oh. teary already <laughs> thinking about I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to vomit if it makes you feel any better. So and I've never been nervous making this podcast one time. So uh, I'll help you a little bit. So you, you um, Adam's A1C was like up in the nines there and you got some, uh, you listened to the podcast for a while. You, you started getting his A1C coming down and it, it was really a turnaround for him. His health was, was moving in the right direction and you felt excited about it. And um and, and how long did, did you have that feeling? Like, how long were you able to live in that, that space? So, late April of 2016, we got him set up with the Dexcom. And for the next several months, um, we had the most success that we had ever had since the time of his diagnosis. Yeah. Um, I came to be able to figure out things that you would talk about on your podcast, like, oh, hmm, when he's playing competitive sports, his adrenaline is skyrocketing, and hence his blood sugars would tend to go up too. I'd start identifying things like that. I started playing with his basal um, insulin, um, you know, being able to just make tweaks to give him the best shot for success. Yeah. Um, we actually ordered an Omnipod as well. That came in late October. And so he had been using both the Dexcom and the Omnipod um, for about two months. Um, and we had his next follow-up endo appointment on December 19th, which was the first day of Christmas break. Um, we lived 30 minutes away from the office where we were going to be seen by the doctor. It was actually a telemed appointment because the doctor was in a children's hospital in Seattle. Um, so on December 19th, we got in the car. It was supposed to just be Adam and myself, um, but I worked in the community that the appointment was in. And so the plan was Adam was going to spend the day with his cousins and my middle son, Alec, had begged and begged and begged to come with us. He, the, the cousin, they and the cousins are very close. Yeah. Um, I relented. I let Adam, or I let Alec come with us as well. So I had Alec and Adam in the car with me. Um, we were en route to 
his endo appointment. Um, I was very excited. I knew that his A1C, we had had it checked in September. It had dropped. I was looking forward to seeing yet another drop now that he was on both the Dexcom and the Omnipod. Mm -hmm. We were having great success. Um, We did not make it to the appointment. Um, The last thing that I remember is we were driving and my car all of a sudden was not going straight. One of the boys asked me something. Um, I have no memory of anything until I woke up in the hospital. I don't even know what day of the week it was. And I remember somebody telling me that we'd been in an accident and the boys had not made it. I'm sorry. Um, How long was it between the accident when you woke up? Um. The accident took place on a Monday, and I, I don't. I, I have no memory of being in the accident. I have no memory of being picked up by an ambulance and being taken to the hospital. Um, I, I think that my um, family said that they had tried to tell me several times. I, you know, obviously they had me pretty well medicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the next day. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know how long it was. Um, that's just the first memory that I have after the boys weren't with me anymore. What, what were your injuries like? Um, <laughs> the, I had fractures basically from head to toe, but they were all able to heal on their own. I didn't have to have surgery or anything like that. I had a brain bleed. Um, just very sore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, I was in the hospital for about a week a little over a week. Um, but everything, you know, everything healed up. Um, there was some nerve damage to, uh, my face. I still, the left side of my face is still a little bit numb, but, um, nothing in compared to, you know, I, I don't know how to talk about it with you. I, um, I feel like what, what happened to you is probably, I mean, it's got to be one of the worst things that could happen to a person, right? I, I don't, I can't, as a person who has children, I, I'm hard-pressed to imagine something worse. Um, I don't know how you sent me that email or or how you found the courage to come on and want to talk about this. I thought that it was um, a beautiful idea to, to talk about Adam and Alec a little bit and, you know, try to try to remember and give perspective to to that sort of thing. So I'd like to do as much of that as you're comfortable with. And um, if you can't answer a question, just say pass, and and we'll, <laughs> and we'll keep going. Um, I guess it's been um, it's been over three years now. Is that right? Yes, it was three years this past December. Does it has it so far lessened in in its and I'm assuming how painful it is. Does that get better? Um, you know, grief, I think, is just a very interesting thing. Um, I cry just about every day still. <laughs> um, not to the point where I can't function. Um, I, I, You know, I, um, I'm fortunate I have a, a job that I really love. It's good to be able to throw my mental energies into something that I'm passionate about and that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
you know, has it lessened? In a way, it seems like it was still just yesterday that this happened. Um, There are moments where I just feel overcome. And I think the day that I sent you that email, I just was having a moment and I, um, but I just was overwhelmingly grateful as I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, Adam, we struggled with managing his diabetes, you know, up until April of 2016, I guess. Um, But I was just so, so, so grateful for the information that I was able to get through your podcast that I felt helped us give him the best chance at living in the best way possible for what we had no idea at the time would be his last few months of life. Um, So does it get easier? No. Has it lessened? Um, I feel like I'm moving forward without as much shock, maybe. Um, Not as much in a fog, but there are still moments where you know, I think, and I think any parent who's lost a child would say, you know, and I anticipate this is going to be on, going on for the rest of my life, um, where you just, you're overcome. <laughs> you're overcome. How could this happen? You know, my son leaves for college, and for weeks and weeks after he leaves, my wife and I will kind of comment to each other. And it's hard to put into words, right? But the um, the house feels different, I guess is the way people put it. But there's yeah. there's um a palatable, um, sometimes it feels like air pressure to me, or I don't know how to describe how being in a space where he is or has been recently feels different than being in a space where he hasn't been recently. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, it's, I'm, I'm assuming that's as close as I can come to understanding what you're saying. <laughs> you know, uh, can I ask you you have a, a son, a third son, um, who's with you still. Yes. Andy was not in the car at the time. And I think the only reason that he didn't come too is because he had basketball practice that day. Um, he is now, he was 15 when our accident happened. He's now 18 and he's a senior in high school. And so he will be going off to college, (laughs) um, in a number of months. (laughs) With you tied to his belt, I'm assuming. (laughs) A three foot rope, right? (laughs) Who's that lady behind you, Andy? Oh, it's my mom, Ann. She'll, <laughs> right, she'll, right, right. She'll be in class today. Uh, yeah, how, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, how did it impact him? Andy is the most even-keeled child <laughs> I think that exists. Um, he obviously, it, you know, going from a crazy, fun house full of energy to being the only one, um, it, diff- I mean, difficult for him, obviously, but yeah. he is the one that I feel like gives us strength in a way, gives me strength. Um, you know, it, um, he's, and, and I, I think I look back on it too. And I think, gosh, you know, the first couple years, especially I was so wrapped up in my own grief, it took me a while to realize I've, I need to be more present for him. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know how to do that. Um, he has been nothing but gracious um, in dealing with my shortcomings through that whole process. Um, but he is continuing on, and he knows that both of his brothers 
have left a legacy and he is very intentional about wanting to live to honor those legacies. And, um, so I just, I couldn't be prouder of who he is and who he's become. It's, you know, something that, um, has happened to him. Um, but he's written, you know, in some of his personal statements for college essays and things like that, that it's not something that defines him. Mm -hmm. It's, it's always going to be a part of his story, but it's not, um, it, he, he's he's not victimized. Right. <laughs> he obviously is going to be living with a big gaping hole for the rest of his life, but um, it's not anything that defines him. So the three of you are supporting each other because each of you has a different tragedy, really. It's, it's as I'm sitting here thinking about it, um, he lost his brothers and then right. contact with you for a while, probably. Um, there's just an overall change in what his life is. But then at the same time, you're dealing with losing Adam and Alec and you're dealing with, I'm assuming surviving an accident that they were lost in. Like that's gotta be, has to weigh on you as well. Does it not? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's more to that question. It just, it, it's occurring to me as you're talking that, you know, that's gotta be the next thought, which is, you know, I mean, it's survivor's guilt, right? Like, it's why me, why them, not me, you know, et cetera. Like, that probably yeah, runs through your no, head a lot. that's a question that plagues me, has plagued me every day for the last three plus years. Yeah, it's just random. Do you seek, um, have you in the past or are you now, do you talk to somebody or do you kind of go back to your family for that support? How do you handle that? Yeah, I did do some counseling for the first two years. Um, You know, um, I, I think that that kind of ran its course. I have some amazing friends who continue to be just a wonderful support. Um, Can I interject I journal, and ask you, yeah. before you tell me about your journaling, is it just honestly something that no one else can really understand except someone who's been through it? Yes. Is that what you found through the counseling? That's kind of what I, I got in your pause. Like, what, what am I going to talk to a therapist about this. You know what I mean? You know, because uh, I find myself in the same situation right now. I'm like, I have nothing contextually to compare to what you're talking about. Nothing. And mm -hmm. so I would think that trying to have that conversation with people who don't have that context must feel frustrating and fruitless. And, you know, it's lovely to think that everything in the world, in the world can be a, uh, can be um, explained away or gotten through or coped with. But I mean, I don't know. Like I, I, um, I follow, I don't know if you've ever heard the episode with a woman named Lyndall Halver who came on years ago and yes, and her, her son passed away at school from, you know, and I follow her on Facebook still. And she's very um, proactive about remembering her son. And at the same time, I just feel like this is this is something that fundamentally changes your perspective on life. And I don't see anything else that could bend you back to where you were before. I don't and I can't tell that that's a bad thing or not. I don't actually think it is. I think it's maybe sad, right, from the outside. But for you. I'm assuming you're not looking to forget your kids. And isn't that what feeling better feels like? 
<laughs> yeah, and that's funny because I, I have always thought. I mean, since this happened, I I don't want to feel better. <laughs> um, I, you know, and it's not even anything that I can really say. I need to make. I I, I need to be able to make sense of this. There's there's nothing to be made sense of. <laughs> I. You know, that, that that was part of what I kind of thought as I was going through the counseling is, you know, what what is the point? You know, I, said, I mean, I just need to be able to put one foot in front of the other. Um, I want to live well. Um, I want to live in such a way that honors their memories, um, that would honor them, that would make them proud. Um, but really, they're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's impossible to... For, I think for, to understand this, I mean, you, you think somebody that this has never happened to, you know, you think, oh, this is the worst thing imaginable. And it is, um, you know, I, I think that sometimes, you know, people will look at me and they'll be like, oh, you're so strong or so courageous. And I don't have a choice. I mean, I, um, but I, I think it's, I have come to know more parents than I would like to know who have experienced this type of thing. And I think there's just an instant bond that you have with people who have also lost a child or lost children. There's just, you relate to them on a, just a level that, you know, people, other people are not going to be able to understand. Um, Other people can sympathize. Go ahead. Does it feel like you're parenting their memories? (laughs) That's a great question. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess to, to, from my perspective, I feel like a really connected parent. I I really enjoy having children. And so when they're with me or they're not with me, I'm always in some sort of a fluctuation of helping them or watching them for what they need next and trying to figure out how to help that. Or, you know, and no matter what that means, if it's just listening or being there or saying something or actually interjecting, like whatever it ends up being, I feel like that keeps happening. And when Cole went to college, I thought maybe that would happen less, but it doesn't. And I can't imagine I'm going to feel any differently when he moves out or that I would feel any differently if he passed away. I I can't imagine that I would feel any differently about that. And um, it, it just feels like, that's what you should be doing, right? Like shepherding their, their legacy and, and still being parents to them. I, I I don't know what else my life is for at this point. It's a very strange thing. I enjoy the things that I enjoy uh, very much, but I don't know how I would feel if you could somehow flip a switch, take me, take me being my kids' parents away from me, but leave me the memory of my kids. Uh, I, I'm not sure what I would do with that. So I think that whatever gets your one foot in front of the next one is valuable. I think that you should 100% live a really long life with as much happiness in it as you can find um, and be a terrific parent to Andy. And and I'm, I'm assuming you're, you and your husband are together Yes, yeah. we are. And and be, you know, be in that love and that relationship and all that other stuff. But I mean, I, I would think that there'd be a way to live well, even, but I don't think there'd be a way to live like forgetting. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I've had a lot of terrible things happen to me that I don't think about anymore. 
Um, but I don't think this one could be one of them. Um, I'm, by the way, not for nothing, but how much better at this am I than your therapist was, right? <laughs> I was going to say, you should go into grief counseling or something. I swear to God, I was like, I should at least get 40 bucks for this. I just found myself thinking. And I've, by the way, and found a way to put a laugh in the middle of this episode, which really is a bigger skill. That was, that was, and that was amazing. I'm going to blow my nose now. There you go. Okay. Holy Christ. All right. Um, okay. So, so I'm going to go back to your note for a second. Um, I'm assuming that as the days and the weeks pass and, and people feel like they want to help you, I, I want to ask first, before we get into what actually happened to you, you know, and how community and friends and family got around you. Um, but for anybody in this situation on the other side of it, what do people say that they think is helpful that really isn't? <laughs> uh, Got to be a couple sentences that stick in your crawl, right? Sure, sure. Can I guess one? Uh, Everything happens for a reason. Is that one of them? Uh, that would be one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God must have needed them. <laughs> uh, they're in a better place. Uh, they're in a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those. Yeah. I, you know, and I, that's the other thing is that, um, you, I, I probably said stupid stuff like that. I, I, I don't know. To other people. Um, yeah. To other people before this happened to me, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what I would have said or what came out of my mouth or, um, you know, I think you. At it, least it's not cancer. We all say that about diabetes. They, right? Right, yeah. right, right. So, right, right. And what is um, that? That's people in a moment uncertain of what to do with really well intended people trying to find something. Very well intended. Yeah. And, and that's what you just have to give grace because um, people are, they're, they're trying to make you feel better. They're trying to say something as inappropriate as it might be. They don't recognize that and that's not their intent. And, um, you know, this has taught me to give a lot of grace yeah. <laughs> throughout the last three years. But, um, you know, I, I, I truly am appreciative of the way that our friends and our community family have just rallied around us um, and continue to rally around us. Um, you know, so, yeah, there are definitely some things that you don't want to say to <laughs> a grieving person. So um, what is the right thing to do? If I were to have met you in the weeks and months after that, what would have the right thing to do have been, do you think? What's the best thing you could imagine? What happened to you that at least didn't make you think, oh, don't say that? Because I'm assuming nothing makes yeah. you feel better, right? No, right. no, there's no, nothing could be said to ease any of the pain. So it's um, a, it's it's just probably the quiet, right? A hug, like a a hand on a shoulder, a glance, like those kinds of things are probably the only things people should even be. And, and who are they doing it for? Are they doing it for themselves or are they doing exactly. it for you? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it was even hard to have, we had so many people around us in the beginning and I just, you know, at the very beginning when this happened, um, I was just in a lot of physical pain. It was sometimes hard to have too many people around, mm-hmm. um, just, I, I, I just, I, I have, my memories are so foggy of those first few weeks. And I think in part because I had a bad concussion, um, I was on some medication. I think it was making me a little loopy. I just, the whole first 
month was just, I, I have very little memory of it, honestly. Yeah. Um, I do remember a lot of people. We had a lot of meals. We had a lot of visitors. Um, and I, I just, I was on autopilot during that time. Um, I think that probably the most helpful thing as I, as I look back on it, the most helpful thing was hearing memories of the boys, hearing what people remembered about them. And we had a number of, you know, cards and letters and, um, that I've saved to this day and will probably never get rid of, um, I think one of the most meaningful things was Alex's fourth grade teacher sent us a, I don't know, two or three pages of just memories. She was, she was a first year teacher the year that she had him mm-hmm. and she had journaled very consistently throughout that first school year. And, um, uh, she sent us two or three pages of just memories of Alec and I, you know, I think more than anything, you know, if somebody asked me what, what, what's the most helpful, tell me what you remember about my boys. Yeah. Because there's this, like right now you're, you know, right now, everyone we know is right now somewhere else living a different life. Like even if it's for an hour or while they're at work or while they're at school, they're having these different interactions. They're making memories with other people and if you stop and think about it, there's probably an infinite number of those memories out in the world that you're not aware of. And yeah. so, and so for people to come tell them to you a story is, 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 it sounds wonderful. Like I, it's no different than when you haven't seen someone in a while and you're like, Hey, what have you been up to? You're asking like, you know, what have you been doing while I haven't been in your physical space? You know, I, That's I, I'm, exactly I'm, right. I'm interested, you know? And so, so when all those people come in and offer those things, that's the comfort, but not in the beginning, right? Like we're not looking for a heartfelt Alex story in the first week or something like that. We're looking for people need to realize that this is, if they're going to be involved in your life still, which you hope they would be, that this is a, this is a long haul situation. It's not, you know, do do you find that people just wanted you to feel better? And like, did you have that feeling or could you not even feel that from other people? Oh no, we felt the grief and the shock and the prayers and the love. And I mean, we, we felt, yeah, we felt everything. Um, and we continue to feel that. I think sometimes now that we're so far removed, I think some people think, Oh, I shouldn't mention it. I'll make her sad. I'll make her cry. Mm -hmm. And that's really the complete opposite. I want to hear their names spoken. I want to hear what people remember about them. I want to hear the stories. I don't want them to go unmentioned at Christmas dinners and, Thanksgiving dinners and because birthdays. And even if you do cry, that those tears come from like a, it's a happy memory. Then, right? You're not thinking. Exactly. You're not in that moment thinking they're not here. You're thinking this is a happy memory. Exactly. Yeah. There, nobody's making me more sad. Right. Um, I, is it yeah. fair to say no one could do that to you? Like add to your sadness. Like it. It, it, is, it is what it is. It, right. It is. It is fair to say that. Yes. <laughs> so I have a couple yeah. of. Difficult questions. Not that every one of these hasn't been a difficult, but I have two difficult questions. I don't know if I'll even uh, before we kind of move on. I want to hear about how how Adam's um, family at school spoke about him. But it feels to me like I don't. I'm not really interested in digging into this because I don't think it's a, what we're talking about. But I feel like if I don't bring it up, people listening are going to wonder. But how did this 
has this or how has this affected your married relationship? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I, there's, there's no greater trial that I think a marriage can go through. Yeah. Um, and that said, um, you know, my husband has been amazingly supportive. Um, he is the rock, is, has always been the rock of our family. Um, we both, it, it's, it's hugely interesting to see how differently we process grief. Um, I am very much always wanting to see pictures and videos and um, it's too painful for him to see them. Um, as far as our relationship goes, um, you know, it's still, I think we, we understand each other in a way that nobody else can. Um, it, it, you know, we're not, we have not been without our, without our trials. Um, but we're, we're still hanging on. (laughs) We'll, um, have been married for 20 years this March. Um, you know, there are days when <laughs> you wonder how much longer it's going to be, but, um, well, I, I will, the, the reason I asked is because it, it was happened to me early on when, um, when I became a stay at home dad and I had this little baby in front of me and I just, I recognized in my wife's eyes that, you know, like I, I never really thought of it prior to the baby, right before the baby, like we were these two people who met each other and fell in love and we were like the most important things to each other. And then as soon as the baby came, I realized that I was a guy she met. That was her son. Y- y- you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, a, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and, right, and, right. uh, and you, you see that, like if it, I always felt like if I really screwed something up, I don't know how she would, you know, forgive me. Now your thing was an accident, obviously, but it still takes a, a large amount of intellectual maturity to remember that I would think um, that that's, that's just how it occurs to me. Uh, I think it's very, it's very cool. And, uh, and, and, and it, it makes me feel good that you guys are together and that you're working and that you're realizing that like this whole thing is just a, you know, it's another process and, and it, it, you can't rush through it just like you can't rush through grief or, you know, you can't, you know, not to be ham-fisted about it, but there are people who sometimes I get notes from them all the time. They're like, I just started listening to the podcast last week and my blood sugars aren't exactly where I want them yet. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, we've only been at it for a week. <laughs> you, you know, like it's going to take more time. Like you have to live in it to see where it goes. Um, right. I would think that that would be, um, you know, worth doing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, people ask us that a lot actually, because, you know, they, I don't know what, you know, how many marriages survive after a tragedy like this. I don't know what the statistics are, but, you know, they, you know, people will ask, say, hey, you know, you don't have much of a chance now. Well, thanks, um, yeah. Hey, listen, some of them do, <laughs> right? You could be those people. I, right, I mean, right, we, right. We all live like that. Like, you know, it's so funny when, isn't it great when you watch people get married and they're all just like so happy and they're young and I'm like, one in two. One in two, one yeah. in every two marriages ends in divorce. Like, yeah. you know, and so, um, and that's from stuff like he wants to watch Netflix and I want to go dancing. <laughs> you know, that, that's, right. a, that's a, a lesser, a lesser conversation, but, right. but it, it right. would be, it would be, um, 
it'd be silly to ignore it in this conversation. Like you're not unaware of your life and you know, I'm not unaware of being married. So I, I was, I was interested to know, and I, I wish you a ton of success. I hope it, I hope it goes the right way. You know what I mean? Thank um, you. yeah, of course. So your note, which with your permission, after you're not with me anymore, after you're off the recording, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read your letter. Is that all right? Sure. Okay. Sure. But I can't do it while you're here, just so you know. And I don't think you'd <laughs> okay. want me to. And I just, it's not, it'll be less ugly if I do it while you're not on the recording. So, um, <laughs> but I wanted to get your, I wanted to get your, um, you're okay before I did that. So a number of months ago, when this letter came, some people might remember that I sort of very cryptically mentioned that we should try to do hard things. And that came from your letter. So I'd, I'd like you to tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So Adam was in sixth grade when the accident happened. And he had an amazing math teacher that year. Um, their class in November, December had been studying, I guess, learning how to plot X and Y coordinates. And um, the teacher had given them... I think it was intended to be kind of a fun, lighthearted assignment. It was in the month of December. He asked them to plot a cartoon character um, on a graph um, with the information that they had learned from this assignment or from the from the lesson. So um, Adam, um, there were a number of choices and the, the students had to go to the teacher and then get the information to plot based on the cartoon character that they wanted. So Adam was, he wanted Mario. He wanted to plot Mario. And the teacher initially was reluctant to give into that. He, I don't think he thought that Adam couldn't do it, but he wanted it to be kind of something fun and quick and, you know, that wasn't going to be very time consuming. Um, this one involved like quarter points or half points on the grid. So it wasn't just, it wasn't a straightforward um, character. Right. So um, Adam asked, the teacher initially said no. He asked again, the teacher said no. He asked a third time. And the teacher was like, wow, Adam, okay, here, <laughs> do Mario. So Adam did Mario. <laughs> um, a few months after the accident, the teacher had been reflecting on that interaction, what had happened. And um, he put together, they, they framed Adam's drawing or the, 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 the final uh, product that Adam had done, the Mario. They framed that, they framed the instructions that were very, very detailed, much more detailed compared to the other cartoon characters that the other students had done. Um, and they had everybody sign it. Um, they presented an amazing, um, wall, it's now hanging on our front and center in our living room wall. Um, it basically says, do hard things. That's the, the lesson as the teacher reflected on all of this that, you know, he thought Adam didn't just settle <laughs> for a super easy cartoon character. He wanted the hard one. He did the hard one and he did it well. And the teacher knew, of course, of Adam's um, challenges, extra challenges with type 1 diabetes, um, what that presented. And, um, you know, he, when he presented this to Arturo and to Andy and I, um, he basically said, you know, 
we're learning from Adam. This is going to be his legacy for our class. Um, he didn't shy away from doing hard things, neither with his diabetes nor with this Mario drawing. He knew what he wanted. He was determined. And um, the teacher just said, you know, remember that as you go through your high school years, as you go through life, don't back away from doing what's hard. It's rewarding. I'm looking at it while you're talking and the message is rewarding. And I mean, I, I to take it a little farther, I feel like you have to, you have to know somewhere in the back of your mind that, you know, none of your time is guaranteed. Like we all sit around talking about like, oh, I'll make it till I'm 80 or, you know, like blah, 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 or, you know, everyone has that feeling. But the truth is, is that not everyone does. And you're not going to know who you are in that scenario ever, right? So whether it's, you know, Adam's years that he got, even at the end where it maybe was just a few months of him feeling better because his blood sugars were were better off, right? Like maybe that was that was lovely, you know, it, it and yeah. it would have been terrific if that went on for 100 years. But it was yeah. terrific that it went on for as long as it did. And, you know, with all of us either living as the parents of children with type 1 or or people living with type 1 themselves, I, I think you have to want for yourself for however many days between one and a, and a bazillion that you get, you know, you, you should want better for yourself. And it's not going to be easy, right? Like, it's it's not going to be easy. You have, um, you have an extra challenge every day. And yeah. some days they're a lot worse than others. But I mean, I mean, unless you're not paying attention and told you already one foot in front of the other one, right? Like you just, every day is not great. Every day is not what you want it to be. Uh, doesn't make it not incredibly valuable. Uh, doesn't make it not beautiful or worth doing or worth living or sharing with someone else, even if it's for your memories or for what you might accomplish today. But you have to honor people like Adam that don't have the chance anymore, right? So do it for them. Um, yeah. That's just how it occurs to me. It's how it occurred to me when I read your note and I didn't know what you were going to say. Today. I didn't know what I was going to be able to say to you. Um, <laughs> I got incredibly nervous about 15 minutes before we were supposed to start talking. And I mean, you, I don't I've, I haven't been nervous doing this podcast once. And, you know, I just didn't <laughs> want to, I didn't want to, I just felt like there's so much here. I wanted to make sure we unpacked it correctly, you, you know? Um, because at the end of your note, the I mean, not that all of it isn't absolutely uplifting and soul crushing to read on the on the other side. Like, you know what I mean? Like as I'm sitting and reading it. But when you got to the end, and I don't know if you still do this or not, but you still listen to the podcast? I do. All right, now I'm I gonna cry. hold on a second. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I just Well and go ahead. You know, well, this, you know, this is very interesting. And, you know, obviously when, you know, in the three and a half years that we were working with Adam and helping him to manage his type one diabetes, you know, it, it, the, I mean, it's, it's undoubtedly, it's of course hard. It's very, very difficult. Um, you know, and there were a number of sleepless nights. Um, I can recall when I would be sitting down right outside his room, uh, when we got the pump and I was playing with the the basal rates and trying to figure out, okay, from two to three o'clock, his sugar's going high or from, you know, four to five, it's going low and trying, you know, trying to make those adjustments and those tweaks to just, to make it just perfect. And, um, 
you know, it obviously is hard. It's something you wish that was not a part of your life. Um, but strangely enough, you know, I think after everything, I I grieved the diabetes. <laughs> I I grieved not having that. Um, and I I I don't know that we're completely done with it. And I, I um, you know, we've I've thought about um, you know maybe fostering a child with with type one diabetes. I just I feel like I I have this knowledge. I I have some tools. I, I obviously not perfect, um, but I know what to do. Right. And um, yeah. And listen, yeah. I got to tell you something. You're killing me, okay? So, uh. <laughs> so like ripping my heart out here. I, um, I, uh, I, I, am just gonna for a second because I don't know another way to couch the conversation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it about me for a second. Please, for the people who think that I do that already, just shut up. We're doing something here, okay? Um, I thought maybe the podcast would help somebody, right? Like I thought maybe. It could. I was hopeful that it would. It started proving itself out that way. It does every day. I never thought it was going to help you with that. You, you know what I mean? Like, like it just, I could not have planned for that. It just would have been no way. You know, try to imagine, you know, five years ago, me thinking, I'm going to try to take my blog and, you know, expand it into a podcast because you know, next year, some person's going to find it and then their son's going to pass away. And then she's still going to find connection to him through a podcast about diabetes. Like, like there's no, there's no way to imagine that. Um, and so when I was reading your note, like that's the part that really, really got me. Like, I just was like, this is, how are you still listening? And then when you explained it just now, I'm like, oh, that's how, you, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand it in the note, but I 100% understand it while, while you're saying it. Diabetes sucks, but it was a thing you were doing with Adam, right? Like you had this connection to him through this thing. It was different than with your other two sons and with anybody else in the world. It's a, it's, and it's so easy to bemoan it, I guess. And for a thousand good reasons, but you have a, different perspective than most of us. And I, um, I mean, obviously we don't wish that perspective on someone else, but it's still a, a viable perspective. And, and I've the closest I've ever come to it. I think I wrote about it years ago was that as much as I hate sneaking into Arden's room and testing her blood sugar when she's asleep, you know, prior to CGM for sure, I realized one day that I get to hold her hand every day and I'm watching it get bigger and and older, and it was a, a very small experience that most people don't have with their kids. And so I tried to find some sort of, uh, I don't know, trade-off in, you know, from beauty to annoyance, right? And uh, and I did. I think it, it's one of the things I'm really grateful for. I lift her hand up. I know what it feels like and how heavy it is and and how it's different from the day before. Um, and you have all those connections too. I, I, I just, I couldn't have imagined it. It's, 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 it's lovely actually. Wow. Yeah. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Hold on, Ann. I'm blowing my nose again. 
All right, yeah, listen, we're up against an hour. One of us is going to have a stroke. So, um <laughs> let's 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 make sure let's make sure that um nothing's left unsaid. There's nothing that you really wanted to say um you know before before we start saying goodbye. Yeah, you know, I um I just my encouragement, I mean, I I I love meeting people who have connections with type one. Um, I, my biggest encouragement to everybody in the type one community is, you know, keep doing the hard things and be grateful that you still get to do them. <laughs> um, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't know that type one, I don't know that we're completely done with it. Um, and I don't know how, or, you know, in what way we might um, continue to be involved but uh, I'm just, I'm grateful, extremely grateful for the time that we had. I'm really grateful for uh, what I learned through listening to hours and hours and hours of your podcast and how to help Adam live well in, in his last few months of life. Um, I would give anything to be able to go through and have sleepless nights again every night. <laughs> um, I give anything, but um, I think you know Adam was definitely a um, like his teacher pointed out. You know he had he left a legacy of doing hard things, and I hold on to that. And um, I continue to <laughs> go through as a grieving parent and get up every day and do the hardest thing of going through life without them. Oh, that is the strongest thing that I've ever heard anyone say or can imagine. So, um, I think that, uh, I think that's wonderful. I hope everybody heard that and it, it leaves them with a, a, a meaningful feeling that they don't uh, escape. And, you know, if you want to see, um, you know, the impact that how diabetes is always around while you're saying this beautiful thing, Arden's texting me, Hey, it's lunchtime. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and she's like, and I'm listening to you and, and she's like, I'm not that hungry. So what should we do? And I was like, I, just like, I think maybe we should do this and this. And she's like, okay. And then she, and then I asked her to have some juice earlier. Um, uh, and she didn't. And, she, and so her blood sugar hasn't gone up the way I wanted it to, but it hasn't gone down. So she's admonishing me in the text messages while you were saying these beautiful <laughs> things. She says, she says, I never had the juice, by the way. I knew I didn't need it. You should listen <laughs> to me more often. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, by the way, she did need the juice. <laughs> but she, what she just means is her blood sugar didn't get any lower than it was. And so, uh, so now she's just. Look at her. She just, she won't stop. Like I'm, I'm about to text her, just go eat and leave me alone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. This remind uh, me quite a bit of my text exchanges with Adam. <laughs> I, I got one from her this morning. I'm just like, I'm like Arden set this, you know, I'm trying to get her to set like a, a, a decrease in her basal and she's just, it doesn't answer me for 20 minutes. Then finally I get the what back, just what? And and I was like, if I didn't need to say it to her so badly, I would just say, what do you mean what? Like, I'm always like, just scroll up a little bit. 
Like, couldn't you just scroll and go, oh, look, he just said it right before I said what? She won't do it. She makes me say it again. <laughs> I think it's my punishment somehow. Um, I want you to, uh, if you see fit, first of all, please accept my my love and admiration and and my, my good wishes and share them with Arturo and Andy if you feel like that's appropriate and don't if you don't. But um, I just really, I can't imagine that you said yes to this. I and and I want to want you to know why I asked. It was because I thought maybe it would be helpful for you to just be able to tell other people about Adam, and you're going to tell a lot of people this way. So um, it just it just I thought you'll say. I think I even said in my email like, please say no if you don't want to do this. Don't feel any pressure to do it in any time frame. It could be years from now, like whenever you want or don't want. <laughs> Um, and I, you weren't going to do it at first, but can you tell me as we're kind of saying goodbye, what changed your mind? You know, I just thought what a way to honor Adam. Um, and I think, you know, any parent who has lost a child will jump at the chance to honor their child's legacy, to talk about their memories, to hear their names, um, and I, you know, I, I guess I came into this phone call not really knowing um, how it was gonna what go. could be said. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, how it would go or what could be said or, you know, what of value that um, that I would have. But, you know, I, I and I don't know that there has been too much value, but I, um, you know, I, I guess I, I keep going back to what I wouldn't give to go through the hard times all over again. Right. Of, well. I believe there is value in it, and and I we're going to find out very quickly because I'm just putting this out. I can't stare at this in my folder. Um, it'll just I can't. I'm not going to. So um, I Aww. I just I I'm gonna. It's going out right away so that I can I can sort of you know just let it move on to somebody else and and see what you know what they can take from it. I mean I would I would bet that that there's a lot of good that comes from you sharing this in in not just for you and uh, any cathartic feeling you might have experienced over the hour, but, um, but for people who are going to hear it, I just, I think the message is there. Like, right. Like what wouldn't you do to, to have those experiences still, even though five minutes earlier, they weren't the best experiences of your life. You described the day he was diagnosed as the worst day of, of your life, right up until, you know, something else proved out to be, um, more impactful on you. So, yeah, yeah, that's really something else okay um and you're good you don't want to tell a story or i'm I'm not trying to make you say anything i just (laughs) want to make sure you you're good right how yes yes. i am all right excellent um i genuinely appreciate you doing this um thank you very very much sure thanks scott no thank you Okay, I just hung up with ann i want to thank ann for coming on the podcast and sharing her story and of course, her memories of Adam and Alec and how her family has been impacted by, it's hard to know what to say, right? Tragedy feels small, like not even like that's not enough. All right, ready? I'm going uh, to read you the email that brought you this episode. All right, hold on. It's uh, dated August 9, 2019. It says, hi, Scott. This is just a thank you email from a deeply grateful mom. No response is needed or expected. I started listening to your podcast in early 2016. My youngest son, Adam, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2013 at the age of 8. 
On the first day of Christmas break in December of 2016, we had an endo appointment 30 miles away from my home. My middle son, Alec, 13 years old, had asked the night before to come with us. En route to Adam's endo appointment that morning, our car, our car lost control on an icy highway and neither of the boys made it. I miss them every single day. And I would give anything to be able to go back to sleepless nights, Dexcom alarms, pod insertions, playing with temp basils, toting juice boxes everywhere, and being a student of how to make the arrows stay straight. Listening to so many hours of your thoughts on type 1 management gave me a new surge of energy and hope for successfully managing type 1 with Adam. As I know you hear from so many, putting your strategies into practice led to a two-point drop in his A1C from my pre-podcast days to his September endo appointment. I remember feeling so excited to have his A1C rechecked again in December. I'm certain it would have been even lower. While we didn't get to do that, I'm so grateful for all I learned by listening to you, being bold with insulin, manipulating basils, finally figuring out that Adam's glucose would skyrocket due to adrenaline surges when he played club soccer, and learning to make the right adjustments during those times. Your message fueled me with a new level of intentionally and determined... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, your message fueled me with a new level of intentionality and determination that helped me help Adam manage in the best possible way during his short time on earth. Adam's sixth grade class recognized that he left them with a legacy to do hard things. In every single podcast, you offer hope and inspiration for people to be able to do hard things and to do them well. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for utilizing your gift of conversation to share such valuable and battle-tested insights. I still listen because it helps me feel close to Adam. And Adam's mom.